502. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central podcast of biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live increasingly for Christ, experiencing the life-giving freedom and purpose he has made us for. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, oh man, I had just a little stutter there, you can check Check out spiritblade.com. I thought that was smoother than last time, though. We'll see how I do next time. On the show today, what do we have going on today? Um, this is going to be kind of an abbreviated show because I bit off more than I could chew, and uh, we also had like uh, an event in my family going on uh, today, Friday, as I'm recording this. And so uh, there's just little, like, uh, little niceties <laughs> that are getting trimmed out. Like, uh, I'm not going to cover what's new on the YouTube channel and the and ChristianGeekCentral.com this week. I'm not going to do some of the outro. There's some couple of great messages that I got from a couple of people this week. I'm not going to share those this week. I just kind of ran out of time for doing prep and editing stuff for that. So, uh, And that's because of the new series that I'm introducing today that I thought I was going to be able to do both an intro for and the first installment of. I just bit off more than I could chew, so I'm just going to do the intro for the series as a whole, explain, you know, the the plans for it and share some thoughts and stuff. Um, So anyway, on the show today is going to be my introduction to a new ongoing series called Essential Issues. It's a comic book series focused specifically on DC Comics. Uh, And then also we're going to be back into the, uh, the book of Ephesians as well. So let's get to it. If I was about to forget every comic story I'd ever read, but could first record a message for myself just before the mind wipe, this would be the result. Hey, I'm Peter Franson from ChristianGeekCentral.com and Spirit Blade Productions. Welcome to Essential Issues, where I talk about my favorite DC comics of the past that are still uh, affordably available today, blabbing about why they're special to me and what, if anything, they have to say about the essential issues of real life. Now, warning, this series will freely contain spoilers, though not in this episode, uh, but even spoiled, I think that the stories that I'll be featuring in this series are still well worth reading. Uh, This time around, uh, this is just going to be an intro to the series, explaining my intent for it and giving you some background on my comic book reading preferences. Uh, As far as scheduling, I think that uh, installments of this series will be on the Christian Geek Central podcast uh, 
And then also on Fridays when I'm not reviewing like a big theatrical release, I'm thinking that's kind of where this will fall on, on those Fridays where there's not a big theatrical release uh, for me to review. So uh, anyway, it, it will not be like a weekly thing, but it should be fairly regular because it's fairly frequent that I have a Friday where I don't have a, a big movie that I'm reviewing. Uh, not that this will always fill that, be the thing that fills that slot, but uh, maybe more times than not it will be. We'll see. We'll see. It kind of depends on how you guys respond to it. So let me know what you think of this idea after I've uh, had a chance to kind of explain it to you. Um, so as I said, this time around, this is just going to be an intro to the series. I'm going to explain my intent, give you some background on my comic book reading, comic book reading preferences. Excuse me. First off, the intent of this series is not to boldly proclaim what comic books are essential for you to read. Uh, comic books as a medium are not essential to much of anything as much as I love them. And what you and I like may be very different. Instead, as my uh, opening words intended to convey in a roundabout manner, this is largely a series where I'm going to talk about, and if you're watching the video version, show you some of my favorite comics, uh, pages from my favorite comics, and, and why I both really enjoy them and find them to be definitive parts of my personal appreciation for the DC Comics universe. You'll definitely notice over the course of the series, I think, an emphasis on some of my favorite characters like Green Lantern and The Flash, but the series will still cover a range of DC books and characters including Batman, Superman, the Justice League, uh, the Justice Society, Teen Titans. I really like team books, and so I think you're, you're definitely going to see uh, stories that involve lots of different characters from the DC Universe. Uh, I'll be talking about crossover event stories and mini-series that feature a broad spectrum of characters or that highlight, you know, kind of hidden gem characters uh, throughout the DC uh, Universe continuity. On the off chance that your tastes are closely aligned with mine, I will also, over the course of this series, uh, be talking about DC comics I love in the order I would actually recommend reading them if you want to gain familiarity and appreciation for the DC Comics universe in the same way I would want to if I could do it all over again. Now that said, if you want a crash course on the core characters of the DC universe without, say, like reading an encyclopedia or a bunch of boring wiki pages... I would actually recommend watching the Bruce Timm animated shows from the 90s, maybe for starters. This this series is, is not going to be basically like an introduction to the you know, core DC universe, but rather uh, I'm going to be talking about what kind of what stories were influential and kind of represent what the DC universe is to me, what makes it special to me. So, uh, you know, so for example, uh, I, I think the the Bruce Timm animated series is great. Because in both the Batman and Superman animated series, as they progressed, uh, and followed, of course, by the Justice League animated series, they introduced... Oh, crap, my phone's going off. They introduced uh, more and more characters from across the DC Universe, concisely sharing uh, their basic origin stories at the same time, uh, most of which were pretty close to their comic book counterparts. And, you know, the same is true for, say, uh, the, the DC movies that have been produced both in recent years with the, their attempt at an at a interrelated universe and in, you know, DC movies of the past. Um, but I, I go to the the Bruce Timm series because there's just a, a lot there covered in a in a short span of time. So, for example, while I might in this series feature a story that showcases um, the essence of who Martian Manhunter is to me, uh, it might not be a, a story that retells Martian Manhunter's 
origin story. I might not feature a single, you know, story that that retells his origin story. So for basic introductions to DC characters, I recommend the movies and TV shows based on those properties. And the reason is that as I kind of started collecting comics, I was learning about these characters from other places. I have very dim memories of like the the challenge of the Super Friends, you know, uh, TV series, and uh, and of course I I watched some of the Bruce Tim animated stuff before I was regularly collecting comics. I didn't start regularly collecting comics until I was out of high school and in college had my first part time job and could afford a habit like uh, like you know comic books. But I had irregularly collected comic books and loved superhero movies and just the genre of superheroes before that. And so by the time I got around to actually collecting DC Comics, I had a familiarity with the DC Comics universe. Now, in addition to this series being a celebration of the things that I, the stories that I've really loved from uh, DC Comics history, uh, I also think that it's really valuable to use entertainment as a springboard for thoughts and conversation about the more important and meaningful things in life, the questions about about our purpose, uh, our worth, the nature of God and humanity, the spiritual world, uh, the complex moral choices we face today or, or may face in the future. Some of those issues might sound kind of like academic and, and you know, just purely philosophical, but uh, they are actually really relevant to how we approach and think about day-to-day life, how we weather the daily grind. And so as much as possible, I'm going to be uh, bringing kind of like that uh, aspect uh, of into con- take that aspect into consideration as I'm looking at these stories. You know, for each story arc or series that I talk about, I'm also going to try to evaluate what perspectives and worldviews are are being promoted, or what unintended parallels might be drawn um, from the story we're looking at to important real world issues. For example, Mister Terrific, really cool character. He has met. The Spectre. In fact, his origin is is inextricably tied to the Spectre, who is God's agent of wrath. Uh, and he's met the Spectre face to face, and yet, after that, remained an atheist. What in the world is that about? Uh, also, Superman has repeatedly and purposefully been used by storytellers to parallel Jesus. It's also been established that Clark attended a Methodist church with his parents. So do his own values reflect biblical teaching or does Clark manufacture a moral compass from another source? And what about Batman. Uh, We value the law uh, and law enforcement. We recognize, crap, we need those things. And yet we know that these systems fall short uh, because we love this fantasy that Batman creates of, of an unlawful vigilante dishing out his illegal brand of justice. So what does that say about us? What does it say about the nature of justice itself? Uh, And those are just some broad issues that immediately came to mind. Uh, Comics are are filled with uh, moral issues, truth claims, and worldview teaching that, presented intentionally or not, are are worth taking time to think about as we figure out what we believe, what the Bible says about the same topics. I mean, these stories, in a melodramatic fashion, are playing out these issues, these basic core issues of the reality of evil and how we respond to it. You know, they're playing with these issues on a grand scale, but there are so many parallels that we can draw 
draw to our day-to-day experiences of evil as we interact with coworkers or people at school or people in our church or wherever. Uh, so comic books are just a playground for uh, looking at these ideas. So I'm really looking forward to examining that part of these stories as well. Finally, this series is also going to be sort of a countdown for me. Um, No, not that countdown. I loved uh, the 52 weekly series, but that follow-up series was really disappointing to me. Um, No, different countdown. This series will be a countdown to the day that I give DC Comics another try. Uh, For 15 years, I made that weekly trek to the comic book store, um, spending most of my fun money on DC Comics, rather than compared to today, where I would say most of my hobby fun money is probably spent on video games. Um, A good chunk of that time, when I was spending most of my fun money on DC Comics, was just a golden age of reading for me. I I remember even at the time, I I started getting into the hobby, buying comics regularly, and there was a shift where I was like, wow, now we are, I found, I I realized, I was like, I think I'm going to look back at this time right now as like a golden age where really, I was really just enjoying what was going on in the comic books that I was reading, the way those stories were being told. I remember thinking that at the time, and that really became the case uh, because that era ended. I'll probably refer to it uh, in this series as the Jeff Johns era due to his character-driven writing and the way he would reinvent key characters in the DC universe in in ways that invigorated them and yet really uh, respected the the history and legacy, even though it would kind of do a little bit of retconning and stuff. It it still, I felt like, um, brought to life in new invigorating ways the core of who those characters had been in the past. Um, So it was just for me a golden era. But then in the fall of 2011 came the new 52. Oh, Uh, which brought some cool new costumes, (laughs) but also significantly changed many characters of the DC Universe and the nature of that world itself. Superman uh, became like this angry, angry vigilante um, that I wouldn't leave alone with my kids. You know, a lot of people felt the same way about the movies. I would say in the movies he seemed more sad. He was just a little bit more of a tragic character, but I guess I wouldn't necessarily feel like my kids would be in danger if they were left alone with him the superman of the new 52 was freaking angry he was like always ticked off you look at those issues his brow was always furrowed you know and it's like oh my gosh he's got stuff going on (laughs) and uh and batman uh, ironically and shockingly became kind of like this smiling family man at least in those early issues of the new 52 i didn't follow him much after that and then also you had these established, experienced heroes uh, that were all de-aged to become 20-something rookies making immature choices. Uh, and then the elders, the, the, justice, the Justice Society, these elder heroes that, that even heroes like Superman admired and looked up to for, for inspiration, they were gone, booted away, and be- became parallel universe 20-somethings. 
And both of Clark Kent's parents were now dead and gone before he ever became Superman. So what I see as a common thread in all this is that overnight, the DC Universe seemed to become obsessed with glorifying youth and and dismissing the value of an older generation. Uh, At the same time, in response to what may or may not have been a loud minority, I don't honestly know, DC began changing characters and telling stories with an aim of what really looked like to me just checking demographic boxes in what felt like an almost paint-by-the-numbers fashion, sexual and ethnic minorities were injected into comics, often by changing the origins the, the origin stories of long-standing DC characters. Now, while I don't think we should look for validation of ourselves in entertainment, uh, I've got no problem with representation in comics, despite the fact that, you know, I doubt they'll ever get around to positively representing an evangelical Christian or even show that they understand what the term evangelical actually means. Someone let me know if that ever happens or if it's happened already. My real problem aesthetically was that it felt like a jarring, forced interruption that took away from telling the best character-driven stories they could, uh, as well as just kind of being disrespectful of, uh, disrespectful of the long history that had been developed for these characters that I wanted to see developed further. In 2016, the DC Rebirth event seemed to suggest that they would be bringing back some or eventually all of the continuity of the pre-New 52 DC Universe. In a big splash page in which Barry Allen welcomed back Wally West, it felt like a symbolic apology to fans as Barry told Wally, how could I ever forget you? Uh, And yet it has been slow going uh, after that to see how the old continuity will be worked back in. Um, I've been kind of keeping tabs, not by reading the stories, but just kind of hearing about some of the major goings on and stuff. Rather than a clean crossover miniseries that would have concisely explained the new status quo that they're planning on, you know, making the DC Universe to be, the end of that single issue uh, rebirth story presented me with a massive list of comic series it was suggested I read in order to find out what happens to the DC Universe next. And my thought was, (laughs) no... Thank you, uh, DC. I gave you money every week for 15 years. You took that and destroyed what I loved about your work. So why don't you go ahead and get your crap sorted out and then give me a call when you've decided what you want to do with your universe. Uh, Now, reportedly, the currently running Doomsday Clock story will usher in whatever this new age is going to be. Um... After I do some investigation to find out what stories are really vital to read to understand the DC Rebirth changes, you know, or in the stuff leading up to Doomsday Clock, I do plan to pick up those stories that are actually vital to the continuity, along with Doomsday Clock, in trade paperback, uh, maybe even waiting for cheap used prices. I'm in no hurry here, guys. Uh, And then from there, I will decide if DC has published anything essential for my tastes since launching the new 52 right now i'm not sure i have reason to think that they have we'll see in the meantime i'm using this series as an excuse to go back uh refresh my memory on the comic book universe that i once loved and ramp up to giving this new status quo whatever it's going to be a try and we'll just see what happens from there um In two weeks, we'll take a look at my first Essential Issues story, a series that's foundational to the DC Universe, and so I recommend reading it at some point, at least to myself, (laughs) as is the premise for this series. And yet, 
in many ways, oh, yikes. <laughs> I, in many ways, I do not recommend reading it. And for that reason, it's going to be a very unique entry in this Essential Issues series. I'm talking about the game industry, uh, the, the industry, excuse me, game changer that, that spans multiple realities. And that's Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, yeah, stay tuned for that. I was planning on talking about it today. This thing is a beast, as I discovered going back to it and uh, reading it again. Uh, so I didn't have time to get to it this week. But uh, stay tuned in two weeks for that when I talk about my very mixed feelings these days about what is still, I think, an essential story. And that is Crisis on Infinite Earths. So stay tuned for that. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Now, lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set you free. Right now, I'm going to try to examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language that we can often take for granted, digging into history and languages as I'm able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. Now, I'm not formally trained in Scripture. I'm just a guy using resources and a questioning mind to try and get at the truth. That's something that we can all do, so I hope you'll do that with me. We're continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we've arrived at what I'm calling part two of uh, the topic, Fighting Our True Enemies, as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 15 in the ESV, that reads, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Uh, in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 6, we learn that our truest enemies in this life are not people, but Satan and his demonic allies, who primarily work to derail us from being aligned with God's purposes. Uh, these enemies primarily attack in non-physical ways. In other words, while they may use physical methods, like people or circumstances that affect us physically, the final aim is to affect us non-physically, separating our hearts and minds from God. So the Holy Spirit, through Paul, instructs us to prepare for combat on this non-physical battlefield. Uh, we may not be able to change our physical circumstances, but we learn here the keys to having victory in a way that prevents our circumstances from driving us to despair, bitterness, or sin. Using the metaphor of a soldier's equipment, Paul identifies the tactics we need to deploy in order to resist and push back against the efforts of our true enemy. Verse 13 again says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. The spiritual equipment that Paul is about to lay out for us is intended to be used as a whole. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, it says. It will enable us to stand firm if we use it collectively as a complete set. 
when used this way, we will be able to, it says, withstand in the evil day, which refers to not some specific date that the author has in mind, but is rather an expression referring to those times when life is at its worst. Uh, We would be wise to sit up and pay attention to these words because... For all you and I know, the worst horrific storm we will have to endure could begin tomorrow or a year from now. And in that case, we're going to need all the prep time we can get. These are are the tools that will help us not only survive, but stand and hold the line, even in the worst circumstances. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The running metaphor of military equipment is based on what was common to soldiers during the time this letter was written. The the pieces of armor are also listed in the order they would have been put on. The belt gathered in the tunic to prepare for battle. Uh, It held the breastplate in place and anchored the sword which was strapped across the back. So while all parts of the armor are needed in order to withstand in the evil day, truth is the foundational piece of equipment. If our beliefs are based instead on what is comfortable, or if we neglect uh, to face hard truths about ourselves, if we forget the truths God has revealed to equip and encourage us, then none of the spiritual tools described here will function properly. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, when Paul gives instruction on how our minds should operate when faced with anxiety, the first thing he mentions that we ought to think about is that which is true. Uh, whatever struggles we face, the first que- uh, face, excuse me, I put an extra T in there. Whatever struggles we face, the first questions we should ask ourselves are, what is true about this situation? What truths do I need to remember right now? Uh, not what could possibly be true um, for those like me that can get a little paranoid or what we hope is not true, we need to start with what is true and begin operating based on that. The second item mentioned is the breastplate of righteousness. Paul says to put on righteousness, which is a restatement of what he said before in Ephesians 4.24 as a reminder that said, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As we observed before when we looked at that verse, this righteousness isn't because of good deeds that we do. Uh, It's because of an identity that we willingly accept. It's a righteousness, a right standing with God that is not earned or maintained by us, but is provided for us by the sacrifice of Jesus. It's accomplished through that, and that we willingly choose to appropriate it. Uh, Look at Philippians 1.11 and Philippians 3.9 for more on that. In battle with spiritual enemies and, and trials, we are to recognize that Christ is the source of our blameless status before God. Uh, We're to recognize that and then live with that understanding in mind. Uh, mind, excuse me. Um, chapter, uh, verse 15 says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now there's some question about the intended meaning of this Greek expression, which more literally translates as, Having shod yourselves as to the feet in readiness of the gospel of peace. So is this a readiness to go and share the gospel, or a foundational readiness for spiritual battle that the gospel provides? 
The second interpretation fits the context better, and both the original NIV and the ESV translate it in a way that leans in that direction. Uh, there are many ways that Satan and his allies would like to uh, derail us from our purpose. Among them are guilt and shame, or creating the illusion that God is angry with us. But the gospel, the good news, that's what that word means, of what Jesus did is that believers have peace with God. They are not under any wrath or condemnation from him. He has no bone to pick or vendetta to carry out with us. No matter what is going on in our lives, it is not an indication that we are on God's bad side. We are on good terms with God as believers in Jesus, the best terms possible. And remembering that is vital for facing spiritual battles. Okay, so what's in all this for geeks? Well, I'd originally hoped to get through verse 18 this week and then share um, the following thoughts as a summary of our look at these verses on, on facing battles in life. But uh, I'll go ahead and still share uh, these thoughts that I had intended as a summary after verse 18. I'll share those thoughts now, and then we'll look at verses 16 through 18. Um, probably not next week. I don't think that's on the, gonna, uh, the schedule's going to allow for that. But when we come back to Ephesians, we'll look at 16 through 18. Uh, and after that, I might just revisit some of these summary thoughts, maybe in a different way. Um, anyway, as I look at this passage, I think, you know, uh, these virtues and, and practices, you know, uh, these, these sound like good things. They are good things, but how do I do that? How do we do, what does that look like to live this way, uh, to appropriate this armor and, uh, and in, a, uh, in the daily grind, uh, use it in a way that actually has an effect on our life? Uh, it's one thing to read it and affirm it as true, but how do we embrace truth, righteousness, a readiness from the gospel of peace? How do we embrace faith and salvation and the word of God in a way that actually makes a difference in our lives? Uh, any one of those things needs some serious unpacking in order to understand how to live it out and experience spiritual power in our day-to-day -day grind. Um, if we look back a little bit to some of the broader context of this letter, we are reminded that everything Paul and the Holy Spirit teach in this book um, assumes that we are growing, serving, and learning in the context of a local church community. Uh, I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record on this, but the Holy Spirit just doesn't seem to be willing to let go of that idea. And, uh, and I think that we as geeks are often all too quick to let go of the idea that we ought to be uh, uh, engaged in a physical local church, you know, uh, at a geographical location, hanging out and being in submission under other believers, you know. Um, that's where we learn what these alien-sounding lifestyles and perspectives look like on the ground level. You know, we learn it by living on the ground level with other intentional Bible-prioritizing Christians and choosing to submit to the instruction of those more spiritually mature than we are. Uh, not only that, but in the local church, we can hear real stories from people we know personally who have endured horrible situations um, and had hope through that or have, you know, discovered amazing spiritual power in the midst of those circumstances. I want to read part of a transcript from an episode of the Reasonable Faith podcast featuring Christian philosopher and apologist Dr. William Lane Craig. I've talked about him a number of times. You can find the episode uh, that I'm reading from at reasonablefaith.org by going there and searching for Problem of Evil Part 5. 
In this episode, Dr. Craig is talking about the importance of having an eternal perspective. That's a phrase I've used before on this podcast. Um, Having an eternal perspective as we think about the problem of evil and suffering uh, that everyone faces to, to varying degrees. Uh, He says, this is not just hypothetical. I had a colleague, Tom Schmidt, with whom I taught at Westmont College, who had the habit of visiting convalescent and nursing homes in the Santa Barbara area as a ministry to those who were shut in there. He told a story about a woman he met there once named Mabel, who was blind, who was nearly deaf, whose face was being eaten away by cancer so that her one eye had dropped on her face. Her mouth was distorted so that she constantly drooled out of one corner of her mouth. This woman was horribly disfigured. She had been there bedridden, unable to move, for 25 years. As Tom got to know her, he discovered that despite her external deformity, she had a very clear mind, very cogent, clear thinker. And he discovered that this woman was a Christian, that she believed in Christ and had a positive and joyous outlook on life. One day as Tom was preparing for final exams, there were so many things cluttering his mind, he just couldn't keep them all straight. He had so many things to think about, and it occurred to him, he said, I wonder what Mabel thinks about, lying there in bed, blind, unable to talk to anyone. What does she think about? And he went to ask her, and he asked, Mabel, what do you think about while you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. And Tom thought, well, what does she mean? He said, I find it difficult to think about Jesus for even one minute. And he said, Mabel, what do you think about Jesus? And she said, I think about how good he has been to me. I'm one of those old-fashioned types. My life has mainly been good, and I'm basically satisfied with my life. And Tom said she began to sing an old hymn about how when I am sad, I go to Jesus and he makes me glad. He is my friend. And Tom said it stunned him. He said, this isn't fiction. This really happened. There really was a person who lived like this. For 25 years, bedridden, unable to move, hardly able to speak to anyone, blind, And she lay there and sang hymns and thought about Christ and how good he is to her because she knew that uh, that knowing Christ was an, an incomparable good, better than anything else. Tom said that what hit him at that moment was that Mabel had something that a lot of us don't have very much of. She had power lying there in bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to speak. She had unbelievable power. And that is the power that Christ gives to those who trust him as they go through the suffering that he calls upon them to endure. Okay, so now to you and I, uh, maybe that's just a momentarily inspiring story, but to the man in the story, Tom Schmidt, I think was his name, To him, Mabel was a person he could talk to, that he did sit down and talk to. He was wrestling with some stuff, and he said, I want to hear Mabel's perspective on this. So he could go to her and ask her questions, questions that perhaps he asked that aren't included in this retelling of of his story with Mabel. Questions I would love to ask Mabel right now, but I, I don't know her. I can't sit down with her. But when we meet people and know people who have discovered what it really looks like 
to powerfully endure through suffering. We can sit down with them for a while and ask them about their lives, their experiences, and what things they did or truths they remembered that contributed to this amazing end result of, of any degree of spiritual power in the midst of suffering, um, or even contentment in the midst of horrible circumstances. I got to be honest, Mabel's story, it was moving to me the first couple of times I heard it, brought me to tears the very first time I heard it. But that feeling faded. Uh, to me now, Mabel is just an inspiring story on the internet, like some faraway legend that, oh, that happens to other people, it doesn't happen to me, you know. Uh, her story might not do a thing for me if my life turns to crap and hits the fan. But there are people in some of our churches or that we can meet through our churches that are like Mabel. And we can find them as we invest in relationships, open up ourselves and our needs to others and discover in turn what they have been through and what they might have learned to enable some degree of victory in spite of the worst kinds of circumstances. that's it guys as a reminder if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area I, I want to help you do that if I can online resources and communities uh, are a good supplement but as I just talked about in the In Search of Truth segment this week by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can where you can sit down talk to somebody who you know has been through the ringer maybe not the same exact kind of ringer you've been through but they've been through some crap that maybe you can't imagine um, the context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or you're not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. Um, I've already had somebody take me up on this, and it was a wonderful experience, wonderful opportunity. I was so happy to, to help them with. You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com, and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. All right, that's it, guys. Stay tuned for DS9 Shawarma after the credits, or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground Podcast at spiritblade.com. Thanks for your patience with this what feels to me as I'm recording it a very thrown together uh, abbreviated version of the podcast next week if God allows it I will have what I said last week I was going to have I don't know why I said I was going to talk about God of War this week it's just coming out today and I was not planning on renting it and then you know uh, playing it throughout the weekend recording myself and you know working through the weekend I'm going to wait till Monday so, uh, yeah, God of War, my plan is to talk about God of War next week, and uh, the movie Avengers of Infinity War, it, it is upon us, can you believe it, guys? Holy crap. Um, it's going to be a packed show next week, so there will not be an In Search of Truth segment, but I am thinking uh, I'm going to try and get a, a speculative faith uh, article in next week if I can. So, anyway, that's the plan at the moment for next week. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by purchasing an audio drama, leaving a donation, or becoming a Spirit Blade insider. You can get more information from our About page at spiritblade.com. Thank you guys very much for t uh, for making time for this show. I, I hope you each have a great week, and that you'll join me next time here on the... <laughs> 
I almost said spirit. Dang it. Next time here on the, what is this? The Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. And we should have some kind of a thing. I should come up with some kind of a punishment that I get that you guys can call me on every time I mislabel this podcast with the old name. <laughs> The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Painter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine. And now, all our hopes rest here. That was things past. Yep. We have TJ Swanson here with us again. To give us a, a great outsider's perspective as someone who doesn't know much about Star Trek. So we'll let you start with any comments you have to begin with. Okay, so let me get this straight. They're in space, right? Yes. Yes, they are in space. There's gas in space? Does that happen? <laughs> uh, apparently in this episode, yes, there was. I'm not a fan of the MacGuffin of this episode. <laughs> yeah. It, the plot is great, but the way they got there just... It it's does, just a device to get It there. does require you to accept... Pockets are a, a, a big old chunk of techno babble to get this episode rolling. <laughs> yeah. But I, I agree with you, TJ. Once it gets rolling, it's a very interesting concept. Because it's not about the MacGuffin. That's just how we get to there. I, I just wish they could polish it a bit better. We yeah. begin with uh, Cisco, Dax, Garrick, and Odo coming back from a conference where they were talking about the occupation of Bajor. And they were talking about how Odo was the only person who had ever been just during the occupation. He had been uh, trustworthy by both the Cardassians and the Majorans, all of that. And then suddenly we're on the station and we find the shuttle arrives, but it's on autopilot because everyone inside has been rendered unconscious by space gas, some unknown radiation. A space fart. Yes. And meanwhile, those four characters wake up on Deep Space Nine. But they wake up on Deep Space Nine back in when it was under Cardassian occupation, Terok Nor. And so most of it is slowly figuring out what's going on, and I'm not going to give away what's happening. But it's a very important Odo-centered episode that tells us a lot about his history, and it also shows us even more of the brutal, brutal injustice of the occupation. Just how awful it was, yeah. Yeah, and how pervasive that, you know, I remember, what was the name of the, uh, Necessary Evil showed us, like, how just, just, like, really dirty it got. This episode was all about how just pervasive it was and how just exhausting it was. Because there's a part where Odo, well, we, we see a Cardassian uh, security officer going into the, the security office where we see Odo all the time. And occasionally he's got one or two prisoners in there. And these, he's got like, there's like five or six people in each cell. They're, no, they're no, that, that one cell was more like a dozen. Yeah, yeah it's, it, like, it's loaded. They were packed to the gills. And you, you get to see just how like just awful it is because... Yeah, he just walks in there, he just reads off, you, you, and you, you're for interrogation. You, you, and you, five years go. hard labor. You, you can go, yeah. Yeah, your uh, paperwork went through, you're out within the hour. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
It's kind of like an old west, you know, the county jail, except for there's a whole lot more people there. And it just, it, you get a sense of just how it's just this thing that's been going on for decades, and there are people who have lived under this entire occupation, and, you know, it's, it's the broad side of what we saw in Necessary Evil. Necessary Evil is about the personal corruption that every individual has to go through. This was about just how it's so big no one can try to fight it and how it corrupts you. And, of course, there was more Gold Ducat being oh. yeah. Gold Ducat. Gold Ducat be just being so slimy you want to shower after you deal with him. Although, to be fair, uh, we, don't, we didn't actually see literal Gold Ducat in the past. I, I can't go into more detail about that. So we didn't. We don't know that this was, but this is. It's pretty. Accurate. This is in perfect keeping with all the other times that we yeah, have. Yeah, th- this is Gold perfectly Ducat. consistent with everything else that we know about Gold yeah. Ducat. And he so. is full of himself and smarmy. It's he, just it's too generous. Yeah. Too forgiving. Yeah. His problem is that he's too nice. You see, <laughs> because he's not killing enough of your people. Yeah. You know, and I, I want to give you people more of the food from your own planet if you would only let us by stop fighting us. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very Obama. It's so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course, yet again, he's picking pretty Bajoran women off of the line for him to amuse himself yeah. with. Yeah. Befriend. Yes. Yeah. Oh, a yeah. Friend. Which is why he didn't pick any of the three men. Yeah. He just He just wants a friend with... You know, some benefits. I just want to be your gay BFF. Ugh. Um, but yeah, th- there's, there's there's not some much great camera about. work in this episode. Yeah, there, there's some very cool. I mean, some of them are kind of cliche bits, but they're still well done. And there's a, there's a lot of like unreality and you know what fish eye lens that kind of, kind of thing. Things. Yeah. And, and again, we can't go into too much detail because there's a, a good twist to this, and it turns the story. And if we tell you that. It doesn't necessarily ruin the episode, but it ruins the surprise. But we this is one... Turns out it was Odo's sled. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this is one that Matt had ranked as one of his top ten episodes of DS9. Yeah. So we definitely do recommend that you see it. Yeah, it's definitely a good episode. It's not at all necessary for... Except for to understand the world. Yeah. To understand why some of the Bajorans move to such extreme things as terrorism. But when you see this world out there and you see why. Mm-hmm. Also, we're going to see a good eye of what Quark was like back then, which is not really evil, but kind More of less a smarmy, what he is on kind of a smarmy jerk, even more so. Yeah, paying him slave wages and such. Well, work. Yeah. yeah. In, in in fairness, he kind of pays slave wages now <laughs> until they rise up and form an illegal. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know that Quark treats his workers too much better than he treated the Bajorans. That's the true. I guess, I guess it's like having a whole station full of ROMs that you can use. Exactly. But, yeah, not too much more to say about this. Not because we can't discuss it, but we can't discuss it without giving things away. But uh, do we do definitely advise that you check it out. Next time, it's The Ascent. Another Odo-centered story, but this is all about the relationship of Odo and Quark, which this might be the first time we have an Odo and Quark-centric episode. <laughs> Quota. And it's kind of funny, kind of harsh. You'll have to watch it for yourself. But so we'll, we'll see, see you, you next time for that one.